Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. of our series called Greater Than. That video is based on a scripture out of the first chapter where it just describes the, the awesomeness of who God is. And that's the whole point of the book of Colossians. It was Paul addressing a church that had kind of gone astray, that had been infiltrated by dumb ideas in essence. And he's like, no, 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 don't miss the idea is that Jesus is greater than. So he opens this book actually with a prayer. He starts off by saying, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to confront you and challenge you and teach you and encourage you. But before I do anything, I want to pray for you. And then after he's done praying with him, he says, hey, now, listen, I'm going to give you a glorious picture of what God looks like and who he is. And that right there should frame everything else I'm about to say. And then the, today, what we'll really talk about is this. So he begins with the idea of let me pray for you. And then he says, well, let me tell you about God. And then now he kind of dives in. By the time we get to chapter two, he dives in this idea of let me fight for you. Let me even protect you. And he starts to unpack this kind of new idea. And so we're going to jump right into the book of Colossians. If you have your Bible, go there or it'll be on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, verse number 1 says this. It says, I want you to know how hard I am, what I'm contending or I'm fighting for you. And for those in Laodicea, which is just a nearby town, he goes, and all those who haven't even met me personally. He goes, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that, this is the point, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Before we begin, would you bow your heads one more time and pray with me today? Dear God, we just pray that as we open up these words, God, would these words somehow get down deep in our heart? God, would they challenge us and encourage us? Would they teach us and God ultimately point us towards you, God? We, we pray that these divine words would somehow soak into our heart and mind, Lord. We pray that in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. So the apostle Paul is opening up saying, hey, I'm going to fight for you. Because you need to know. I'm going to fight for him and contend for you. I'm going to protect you. And he ultimately points towards the rest of these two chapters. He really points towards two big problems uh, that you're going to potentially face as you follow Christ. And what they face is not too unlike what we, we face. And what you'll see is it's almost like there's a path that you want to be on. And then there's a couple of ditches that you can fall into. Has anybody? We don't have a lot of ditches in California, do we? Do, you, do we have ditches? I feel like we don't have ditches. South Carolina, we had ditches. Michigan, we had ditches. Anybody ever been in a ditch before, like in your car? It's, it's the worst. It's, in fact, the, the worst is, and this will be totally unrelatable to you, I lived in Michigan for a few years. That's where I met my wife. And while in Michigan, they have huge ditches in the middle of their highway because that's where all the snow goes, right? Just snow is pouring in Michigan. And so they just, they, when they clear the roads, it all goes into the middle. And the middle is this huge thing. Well, here's the problem. In the summertime, when you go into that big ditch, it's fine. It's pretty big. It's pretty open. There are no issues. Wait until it's just full of snow. I remember falling into a ditch because the roads not only are just snowy, they are icy. And I lost control of my car. Some person ahead of me like hit the brakes. You never hit your brakes on the highway when there's ice, right? And so all of a sudden, I got to hit my brakes. I lose control. And then I go into the, the ditch, now, they got ditches on the right and the left. I'm in the middle, like so at the middle of the highway, which is my left side, I'm in the ditch. And no lie, there is snow up to my eyeballs because my car is in snow. 
And the thing that I learned is, is that you just don't want to go into the ditch because you cannot get out of the ditch. There's no getting out unless somebody pulls you out. I had to call a tow truck. I was broke. I had no money, but I had to pay a tow guy to come and pull my car. And my wife has this amazing story where like some mysterious person showed up and helped her get out of a ditch. Nobody helped me out of a ditch. Ugly, chunky, white guy named Bob pulled me out with a tow truck. That's how I got out. So, all that being said, turn to your neighbor. Say, don't fall into the ditch. Don't fall into the ditch. That's, that's the goal of life. And what the Apostle Paul is about to do is explain to you that there are two dangerous areas that you don't want to get your car. There are two ditches that you don't want to fall. And there's a, there's a pathway you've got to find. And so this is what he begins to say here. And so if you look at verse number four, he goes, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive. The idea of take you captive is this word that they would use that when a slave trader was carrying off slaves. So back then they would like war and fight and conquer a group or nation or a tribe. And then what they do is they'd rally up all those people and carry them off into slavery. That was like incredibly common. This is the same word that they would have used for a slave trader carrying off slaves. Paul's saying, look, there are some ditches that you will fall into. There are some traps and messes that you will fall into. And you need to know this. It's the equivalent of being led away into slavery, meaning something's going to lock you up. Something's going to bind you up. Something's going to punish you. It is, I'm trying to, again, fight for you and protect you so that no one deceives you and no one takes you captive. And this, this is, he goes on to explain more of it. So that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So now here's one of the things we talked about with the book of Colossians or most anything that the Apostle Paul wrote. Many times the Apostle Paul was writing in response to something. So a pastor would write him and say, hey, here's what we're dealing with. And he would ask a bunch of questions and then Paul would respond. And the problem is, is we don't know what the questions are. We're only reading one person's side of the text message. Does that make sense? So we're not sure this guy named Epaphras, who's the pastor, he goes to Paul and is like, hey, here's what my people are dealing with. And so we're kind of working backwards to figure out what's he talking about? What's all this philosophy and the, the spiritual forces of this world, this deceptive stuff? What, what is this going on? And really, I think all you have to do is say, what culture did they live in? Right? This is Western Turkey. This is Roman Empire. This is, I'll tell you what it really was, is they had a pantheon of Greek gods that they were used to worshiping. That these people had been surrounded by Greek culture, or what we would call this. We just call it paganism. That's kind of the term that they used in their day. So he was saying, let me protect you from paganism. Now that sounds really bad, but this is what paganism really is. Paganism is just a belief that points you to anything other than Jesus. So just think of it like that. So they lived in a culture that all they had ever known was this. This is all they'd ever known. This is all they'd ever been taught. This is all they'd ever seen or experienced. This is what, hey, this is what everybody else does. They had all these different gods that they worshipped. I'll give you, you, you probably know some of these, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. So here's, here's a god, Aphrodite. I think we have a song about her. So Aphrodite, and she was the goddess of beauty and love and desire and pleasure. And they had a little statue and a little trinket and a thing. And they had a way and a form and a, a worship. And a, they'd make a thing. And I don't want to tell you what all they did. But anyway, they had... Some stuff was freaky. Hey, they, here's Apollo. We probably heard that one. That's, that's not like Rocky and Apollo. That's like the 
the god Apollo. He was the god of music and art and knowledge and healing and playing and prophecies, all kinds of stuff he was taking care of. And there was another one that they called Ares. He was the god of war and bloodshed and violence. And so again, in their culture, they would have something. And then they would say, well, there's a god for that. There's clearly some type of entity or being that is in control of these elemental spiritual things. And so we have a god for everything. Here's another one. Athena, goddess of reason and wisdom and intelligence and all this stuff. And so we'll give you a couple more. Dionysus? Dionysus. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it or not. But the god of wine and parties and festivals, madness, chaos, drunkenness, ecstasy. That's a lot. That one was very busy. A lot on his plate. He's a very busy guy. And then lastly, here's Hades. Hades, we, we, you know, again, this is kind of a broad term. Some English Bibles will just interpret this as hell. The God of Hades is the God of the underworld or the God of the dead or he's even considered the God of the wealth. And I'm not sure how that, I don't know how you got to be in charge of, of, of the bank and the funeral, but apparently that's, that's what he did. And, and I know what you're thinking here because what you're thinking is, is, well, paganism, I mean, that's not, we don't deal with paganism. I mean, that's just not, we, we are not concerned with having little trinkets and little idols and little things that we go worship and sacrifice to. We don't go give money to these gods. We, we don't do it. We are very sophisticated now. We're smart. We know that like there are not little gods everywhere controlling the little things of this world. But see, here's, here's the problem that I'm seeing. It seems as though it's the same exact spirit with a new name. Because like nothing's changed. We don't have a God that we worship, but we still pay homage to these things. If you go look at Visa and go look at your bill, you still pay homage to these things. Like, remember the goddess of beauty? Think about this. So the goddess of beauty, 85% of women apply an average of 16 skincare and cosmetic products every day. Now look, if the barn needs painting, by God, paint the barn. But, You need to know that at some point it's beyond healthy to say, I'm worshiping at the God of beauty. I need to look a certain way to feel good about myself. I need to dress a certain way. We, We pay homage to Stone Ridge Mall and we bow to her prices. If you're a little bit savvy, you go to the outlet mall and you bow to her discounts. But you are paying, at some point, you just need to be aware that that is the culture that you live in. Now, does that mean it's all evil? No, 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 no. But at some point, when you need, because this is what ultimately paganism is. It was looking to someone else or somebody else or something else to satisfy the longing of your soul. We don't do that, do we? we don't, there was this God, he was the... God of war and of bloodshed. Do you know that the 20th century was the bloodiest century in all of human history? That if you took every century prior to that combined, it didn't equal to the number of deaths that we just tallied up during the 20th century. You think we don't have a problem with war and violence and bloodshed? Now, we don't go worship a little god named Ares. Do you know that there were 262 million deaths that were non-combatant deaths in the 20th century. We're not talking about soldiers. We're talking about people like Stalin and Mao and Hitler that they just genocided. 
And you think that we don't have an issue with pride and greed, that we don't have these gods that we pay homage to? There was another one. Did you, did you notice that there was, there was Aphrodite? She was the goddess of sex. That, 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 listen, listen, every second, not every minute, not every hour, every second, every second, 28,000 plus users are watching porn on the internet. You're telling me we don't have an issue with sex? We're not bowing? We're not, listen, you're not, you're not paying money. Every second, over $3,000 is being spent on pornography. Not every minute, not every hour, not daily, every second. You're telling me we're not paying, we're not bowing, and this is all they'd ever known. This is the culture that they lived in, and Paul's saying, look, I'm fighting for you. There's a pathway, but then if you drift, you will get pulled and sucked into a ditch. And that ditch is paganism. It's just, now again, we wouldn't even look at that. We would say, looking to anything in this culture that will satisfy your soul other than Jesus. And he goes, that is the trap. That is the thing that you've got to avoid. That's the thing that you have to, to stay away from. So Paul is addressing this issue to say, hey, make sure that your heart doesn't long for these things. Make sure that your heart doesn't get distracted by these things. Because paganism, or we would say, following the world and the culture that we live in and, and, and using it to satisfy our soul, it has a price, it has a consequence. You're being led away into a form of slavery. And that's the first ditch that the Apostle Paul warns us of. Now he pivots now. He's going to go in a new direction. So in verse 16 he says, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Now that just sounds different. This isn't paganism now. This is, well, this is dietary restrictions. Or don't let anyone judge you with regard to religious festivals. With a new moon or a Sabbath day, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I mean, all that stuff in the Old Testament that was about Sabbaths and festivals, and all, it was pointing to Christ. It was, watch where he's going here. Verse 20, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to this world? Like you don't belong here anymore. You are not a child of this culture anymore. Why then do you submit to its rules things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? And so again, here's this idea that he pivots to because he goes, the first ditch that you really have to be aware of is don't fall into paganism. Don't fall into looking to something else to satisfy your soul and falling into the ways of this culture to satisfy you. But here's another thing, because if you follow God, at some point, legalism creeps into your mind. So he's like, let me protect you from legalism. Now, legalism is this, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Legalism is a belief that you have to perform to be made right with God. Like, you got to do something. You better perform. You better work. You better earn. What legalism ultimately says is, you owe. You got to pay the piper. You owe. Christ was not enough. You owe. And you better perform or else. You better measure up or God won't like you. You better get it right or maybe the Lord will smoke you. You know, that kind of idea. And he was like, let me protect you from this thing called legalism. Legalism ultimately ends up putting more emphasis on the rules than it does on the relationship that you have with God. Legalism says, hey, you better get it right. Or, or we can say it like this. You better get right or get left. There are certain um, camps inside of Christianity that really lean hard into this direction. Has anybody ever grown up in one of those churches? Lean hard into that? See, most of you... If I had to put money on it, your issue is paganism. 
Like your issue is like, don't get caught up into the cultural things of this world and be led astray by them. But some of us, man, we get caught up in being too religious. We get caught up in being so religious that we, we step over into being legalistic. And if you don't measure up to my rules, then you're not good enough. And I'll just judge you and condemn you and put you down or, you know, that, that kind of a vibe. And there are certain camps in Christianity that are professionals. I mean, they're really, really, really good at doing this. As a matter of fact, I called a couple of buddies of mine this week who grew up in these kind of churches. Now, I grew up Baptist, and we believed in greasy grace. We believed just, you could just slip in anyway, you know. Any, anyhow, that was, that was kind of the way I grew up. But my buddies grew up holiness. As a matter of fact, that was their saying. is holiness or hell. Bless God. As a matter of fact, they had a song. Y'all want to hear the song? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This train is a clean train. Do you know that song? This, this train is a clean train. As a matter of fact, let me, let me, let me give it to you so I can, I can do it justice. This train is a clean train. This train don't pull no jokers, no tobacco chewers or cigar smokers because this train is a clean train. And they had all these rules and they had rules like you just could not do anything. Do y'all know? All right, ladies, y'all better dial in. Y'all gonna love this. Y'all couldn't wear no makeup. Some of y'all had to wear head coverings. They took some scriptures out of context, didn't know what they meant, started applying them everywhere. Women and men could not swim together in the same pool. That was the devil. Ain't nothing but hell. Um, women, y'all couldn't wear bathing suits either. Bless God, y'all had to wear a skirt and swim in a skirt. My buddy was like, yeah, I remember the first time I ever saw my sister, she jumped in the pool with the jean skirt on, boom, right to the bottom. Because um, man was not made to swim in a jean skirt. That ain't, that ain't how that works. And so anyway, King James only. Some, there were some people that grew up, y'all know the King James version of the Bible. Some churches were so adamant it was King James only. And their slogan was, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Y'all don't know how ridiculous that sounds. The King James Bible wasn't written until 1,500 people. Jesus did not have King James Bible. But y'all are tripping because y'all think King James is the only Bible that was holy. That makes no sense. Anyway, so I remember one time I got into an argument with a person. I was baptizing people on Sunday morning and they came up to me after they were like, Hey, I couldn't, I wasn't close enough to hear. Were you baptizing them in Jesus name? And I'm like, what? <laughs> now I knew what he was. Cause I, I, I've met guys like this before. So I just wanted to mess with them a little bit. Cause I enjoy that. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? What are you, what are you talking about? He goes, well, if you don't baptize them in Jesus name, they ain't saved. And I'm like, Oh, well, so, so, so I, you know, but what about that verse that says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? He goes, that don't matter. That don't count. It's in Jesus' name or they ain't going to heaven. I'm like, wow. Really? What, what about that guy on the cross right next to Jesus? I don't think they baptized him at all. He's, he's hosed. Forget what Jesus said. That didn't count. Anyway, my, my point is, my point is there is a level of goofiness. As a matter of fact, I got to tell you one more story because this is good. I, I, you, can, you can tell religious people annoy me. Um, I, lo- I love you. I but I, yeah, if you're, if you're hyper-religious, you usually get on my nerves. Um, there, was a, there, was a, there was a pastor. This is up in Minnesota during the winter season. This is, this is like decades ago, but this is the story he tells. He goes, I was going to church, but the roads were closed, and I couldn't get through. So he said, the only way I can, this is the pastor, the only way I could get to church, because up there, you know, there's lakes and rivers everywhere. He said, I had to get on my ice skates and cross over a lake or a river to get to church or I wasn't going to make it. And he goes, so I put on my skates. He goes, the elder board was so mad at me because I was skating on Sunday and they were ready to like kick me out of the church. And so we had a big board meeting and then they asked me, they were like, because I said, look, it's either skate or don't go to church. What'd y'all want me to do? And so finally they discussed and they said, well, wait a minute. 
did you enjoy it? And he said, no. He goes, then we'll let it pass. Bless God, as long as you didn't have fun skating on that ice ring. You know, you, now, don't be skating on Sunday. Because here's what you find, though. Is that with legalism, you can't win. There is no win in legalism. Okay? Here are your options. If you go down the road of legalism, either one, you become an arrogant and obnoxious person because you're better than everybody else. You are full of pride and arrogance, which by the way, the Bible says God resists the proud. So you chew on that for a second. But you, become, you, you look down on people who aren't as good as you at keeping the rules. As if, as if following the rules got you into heaven and breaking the rules kept you out. See, again, it depends. If you fall into that trap, you become arrogant if you're better. Now, here's the problem, though. Most of us think at following the rules anyway. Some of us are good. About 25, 30% of us are pretty good at following the rules. The rest of us are pretty garbage at it, and we're hit and miss, right? So for the other 70%, you know what y'all live with is guilt, shame. I'm never good enough. I'm the scum of the earth. I'm terrible. How could God love me? I'm barely getting in, that kind of weird idea. So your, your, your two outcomes are you become arrogant and obnoxious, or you just become defeated and guilted in this life. So you, you cannot win with legalism. Now, legalism, again... Or legalism basically leads you down this path of pride or guilt. But look at the opposite. Grace does. Grace is mind-blowing. It leads you to humility and gratitude. Because what grace says is, hey, you're not good enough. Don't worry about it. I'm going to bring you in because of my goodness. And you're like, what? You mean I'm not good enough? It's, 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 it's humbling. You're not good enough. In the opposite of the words of Stuart Smiley, you're not good enough. You don't measure up. Some people don't like you. Anyway, but the point is, is that grace is so humbling. And religious people have the hardest thing with like, well, what about Todd? Because I know you religious people, you're churning. You hate this right now. But what about, but what about this? But what about that? But what about, but don't they have to? And see, what happens is when you fall into legalism, what happens is you're mad that you're following all the rules and that they're not. And that God still loves them. And you're, you're kind of like the older brother in the parable, parable of the prodigal son. It's like you're, you're upset with grace. You're upset that the father would be so kind and forgiving. And so, again, grace is so humbling when you realize that you can't measure up. But if you'll really accept it and receive it, it, it you can't do anything but respond with gratitude. Because, see, here's the deal. Like, like Paul said this in Romans 6.23. He said this. He said, for the wages of sin is death. Everybody say wages. That means you have to pay. Right? That's a wage, right? It's a, it's a, it's a payment. He said, but the gift, everybody say the gift, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you have this, this dichotomy here. You have this thing going on here where you have in one sense, you have sin and you have payment. Like if you, if all you have at the end of your life is you and your sin, you have to pay. But then something comes along called grace and he calls it a gift. Everybody say gift. Now, can you pay for a gift? No, because as soon as you pay for it, it's no longer a gift. Even the idea of gift, it evaporates, it disappears. Does that make sense? As soon as you pay for it, it's gone. You lost it. You're like, but I wanted to earn it. I wanted to prove it. No, no, no. See, you can't live for grace. You can only live from grace. You can't work for grace, but you can work from it through humility and gratitude. And that's the whole point. Paul's trying to say, if you'll look to Jesus... Because this is what he really does. He's like, in the middle, there's this incredibly perfect, wonderful road. On one side, 
There's craziness. There's paganism. And guess what? The problem with paganism is this. It has all these awful consequences that it ruins your life. Ask anybody that's gone down a path of just what we would say is cultural sinfulness. How'd that turn out? There's carnage everywhere. There's wreckage everywhere. There's broken relationships. There's dysfunction. There's, there's addiction, there's a, that, which is just a form of slavery. There's all kinds of these negative and evil, awful things. Why? Because that's what sin does. And that's what God's trying to protect you from. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm going to protect you from it. Because on the other end, don't get it twisted. Don't become so religious that you become arrogant and prideful. God resists that. In the middle, the apostle Paul sandwiches these ideas. And he puts them right in the middle. This kind of beautiful, wonderful thing called grace. So watch what he does here. So he pivots. He goes back into the middle. Verse number 13 says this. He said, when... You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. Now that to them, he's talking to some of these Jewish people. He's saying this. He goes, you weren't right with God. You weren't a part. You weren't in. It wasn't. You were dead in your sins. You were disconnected from God. And yet God made you alive with Christ and he forgave all your sins. Listen to this. Verse 14. This is the best right here. Having canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness. Remember we were talking about wages and debt and owing and payment? He goes, he canceled the charge of your legal indebtedness. Now, everybody say cancel the charge. Now, I'm going to tell you all something amazing. Okay, so back then, they didn't have paper like you and I have paper, right? What they had was, is the, the way the thing that they used for paper was called papyrus, and it was made mostly out of animal skin, right? So, you know, it, it was kind of gross, yeah. So, I saw something like, ew. Um, it was, it was gross. But here's the thing. They had this animal skin for paper, and then their ink had no acid in it. So you got to know it like this. The, it, the ink would not stain and set in deeply on a piece of animal skin like this. And because it was so expensive to write anything, if like you were writing something and then you messed it up, you could literally just wipe it away. So that when he says that he canceled the charge of the legal indebtedness, what the word is, is wipe away. Depending on what maybe English version of the Bible you have, but the Greek word, he goes, no, he wiped it away. It was the same word that they used when you were writing on papyrus and then you were unhappy with what you had written. Can you imagine, can you, how awesome would this be? Can you imagine if all your financial debt was only kept on a whiteboard? And you had an eraser? You imagine some of y'all with legal woes, if all of your legal indebtedness was only on whiteboard, and they all leave the room, and it's just you and an eraser, and you're like, hmm. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying what Jesus did for you is he took all of your sin and all of your legitimate indebtedness, and he just, it's as if it never existed. Now he goes on, he's just doubling down on this huge idea of grace. He goes, he canceled the legal charge of your indebtedness which stood against you and condemned you and he took it away, nailing to... This is what he did. He took the papyrus and then he did this and then he just took the papyrus with him. It said he took it away. It's gone. This is the overwhelming notion of grace that God loves you so much that he took everything that you owe and he wiped it away and then he took the paper away and then he put it on the cross and said, you can't have this back. I paid it all. That's the beauty of the gospel of grace. That's what Jesus has done for you. And so in light of that, we don't 
veer off into craziness and sinfulness of this culture, but we definitely don't veer off into arrogance or, or somehow trying to earn and work and judge and be hard. No, no, we just live with incredible humility and incredible gratitude for this awesome thing, thing that Jesus has done for us. Watch this. He does, well, he does one more. Can we go? Paul's just double and triple and boom, boom, boom. Watch this. Verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Everybody say triumph. So again, you got to remember Paul is a, a, is a Jew who is who was basically trained and he spoke multiple languages and he grew up, he's really incredibly brilliant. He knew all the different languages, was schooled in all the different ways that you could be schooled. And he grew up in a Roman empire. He was actually a Roman citizen. He plays that card later in his life. He gets into trouble. He goes, whoa, 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 before you kill me, I'm a Roman citizen, you can't do that. And so, so he grew up in Rome and he knew this idea. In Rome, they had something called a triumph. So in Rome, if you were a general... And they were all about conquering the world. If you were a Rome, a Roman general, you would go off with all of your troops to go conquer a new people group. And if you did it just right, when you came back, they gave you something called a triumph. We would probably call it a parade, right? The Golden State Warriors, they go off, my bad, but they beat the Cleveland Cavaliers. There's a Cavaliers fan in here. I'm so sorry, you just lost LeBron too. It's just a bad year. Anyway. Golden State Warriors come back, and what do we do? We throw a huge parade for them, but they would have called it a triumph. And there were five things that you had to do. If you were a Roman soldier, a Roman general, this is what you... Number one, you had to be the man. You couldn't be like lieutenant or sergeant. You had to be the general in charge. You had to completely finish off the campaign. You had to bring back all of your troops safely. You had to have killed at least 5,000 people, and you had to have completely conquered the region that you were sent off to do. And if you did all that, when you came home, they gave you a triumph. And they celebrated you. And so Paul's like using all of these ideas and all of these words. And he goes, Christ was disarming and beating. He conquered sin and hell and death and the grave and all of it. And he triumphed over it. And this was the whole idea. It was that, you know what? Jesus has got to be the focal point of your life. If you find anything in this life that's satisfying you other than Jesus, know this. It is leading you away into a form of slavery. Because anybody that knows this about life, anybody that's, that's like, you just, hey, sin and this, and I did everything, if it felt good, I did it. This is just the way I was raised. This is just the culture I grew up in. This is just normalcy. What did it do for your life? It led you away into some type of slavery. You became a slave to sin. And he's like, I'm trying to protect you from that. And the answer is, is that everything you ever needed and everything you ever longed for was in Jesus. And you didn't even know. As a matter of fact, I'll close with this last story. There's this story. Peter Kreft tells this story of a poor European family who was traveling to America for the very first time. This is back, I think, in the 1800s. They were traveling by boat. They literally, it took them months, maybe even a couple of years. They had to save money so that he could buy the ticket to get on a, a, a ship and travel to America. So when they, they, they took this voyage, they, they prepared and so they saved up and put together cheese and bread for their journey. And so the family's getting together and they're having to ration off cheese and bread for the number of days that the journey would take and make sure that they had enough food. And the young boy, rightfully so, was angry at cheese. Because if all you ever have is cheese, sometimes cheese gets old. 
And he finally told his dad, he goes, Dad, I'm sick of cheese sandwiches. I don't, if I never eat a cheese sandwich again, I don't even care. I don't want no more cheese. And so the father gave the boy his last nickel. He goes, this is it. It's all I got. Go to the place. Go get yourself an ice cream. But this is it until we get to America. The kid was gone for hours. Finally, he comes trotting back with a big giant smile on his face. And the dad's like, dude, where have you been? I don't think they said dude back then. Um, Young man, where have you been? Um, and, and, and he's like, where have you been? He goes, man, I was in the, I was in the cafeteria, the, feet, the food place. Dude, I had like a steak. I had three ice cream cones. Dad's like, you got all that for a nickel? And he goes, no, dad. All of that was free. It's built into the ticket. My fear, and this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to protect you from. My fear is, and his fear, and what he's fighting for you is this, is that you're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to have some carnage and wreckage from sinfulness and you might have the other end where you're pride and error. You have, you have this, and you're going to get to this life and you, you're like, whoa, whoa, you mean this entire time I've been on this journey, it was already in the ticket? Everything that you ever needed, it was already in the ticket. What Paul was saying was this, Everything that you ever needed or wanted in this life started and it ended with Jesus. Or we could say it like this, is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray today. Where in your life are you looking for something to satisfy your soul other than Jesus? Is there something that you chase after and long for? Is there something that your imagination fixates on? Is there something that creates so much fear and worry and stress? Because I guarantee you that if you'll dig down, you'll find yourself an idol in there. You'll find yourself an Ares or an Aphrodite or something. Now, we call them different names now, but it's the same spirit. It's something that I'm paying homage to. Something that I'm bowing to, something that I'm chasing and pursuing, maybe even worshiping and I'm pursuing it, that it might satisfy my soul. Is there something in your life? Because I'm telling you, what Paul is telling you is leading you off, is taking you captive. Is there some of you in here who maybe have turned too far to the religious side? You become harsh, you become critical, you become judgmental, you look down at other people. You're constantly fighting and arguing and trying to put people in their place. There's no grace there. There's no humility there. These are the ditches. The Apostle Paul says right in the middle is the glorious gospel of grace. It is that Jesus is everything you ever needed. So in this place, would you turn towards Jesus? If there's something in your heart, if there's something in your life, would you just repent now? Would you have a moment with Jesus? I'm going to give you 30 seconds just of, of quiet. Will you turn towards Jesus? God, I thank you so much that you took all my mess and all my sin and all my past and God, you wiped it away. You nailed it to the cross. Forgiving me 
and then triumphing over it all. God, I just turn to you right now in my heart and in my mind, in my, in my life, I turn towards you, God. Help me to walk with you. Help me to follow you. Help me to know you, Lord God. Help me to trust in you, Lord. That is my prayer today. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Yeah, can you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.